Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Bree is going to go deep. He's got ground. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry Connick Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. What's up? Welcome into the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Sellerson, filling in for Sean Kelly, who has the day off as the Pelicans got in last night from their nine-day, five-game road trip. I hope those of you who had a three-day weekend enjoyed yourself, and I'm glad that you are making this show a part of your day. We have a lot to get to today, including recapping a tough road trip for the Pelicans that ended with a loss yesterday in the Big Apple, falling to the Knicks 99-92. to Tyreek Evans led the team with 23 points on 9 of 20 shooting, and Eric Gordon had 20 points in the game. Unfortunately, all those points came in the first three quarters. He was held scoreless in the fourth. Pelicans had trouble getting things going in the first quarter, getting outscored 22-16 to with 12 of those points coming from... Carmel Anthony of the Knicks, who finished with a game-high 24. The Knicks, who normally average around 14 turnovers per game, only had four. And also, the Pelicans couldn't make a three-point shot. Well, they made eight of them, but they took them 27 attempts to do so. So after the game last night, our Sean Kelly caught up with head coach Monty Williams following the loss. Coach, where do you want to start when you when you think about how the game transpired? Yeah, just a, we had a tough first quarter. I thought, I thought that. Um dug us a hole and we you know, we had to battle so hard to get back into the game uh, give them credit they came out right out of the gate and put some uh, defensive pressure on our pick and rolls we didn't run much offense in the first quarter and then down the stretch you're just trying to make a play and um, the plays we made last night we just didn't make them tonight out of sync is that fair when you when you look at what the pieces they uh, had to go together a little bit yeah you're trying to find a, a lineup out there that can get you some some energy and some rhythm. Um, Ryan didn't shoot a good percentage tonight, so um, try to get a couple guys in there that can space the floor and give Tyreek and Eric some room to operate. And then I was I was pleased that he came in in the fourth quarter and hit a couple shots and uh, didn't hesitate to shoot the ball. Coach, you pulled within one at yeah. one point and then down four. There were two three-point shots taken. Did you did you feel like those had to be taken at those moments in the game? Uh, I don't want to second guess the guys' shots until I see the film. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they make those shots, we're all happy about them. Um, I, I was more uh, concerned with the, sh- the three that Calderon got. Uh, we had a miscommunication on Carmelo coming off the screen. 
and um, he gets a wide open shot, and that, that kind of didn't put the dagger in there, but it it, uh, it started to get pushed in a little bit. Coach, you guys have taken losses hard this year, yeah. and they therefore then show a lot of remorse. Yeah. Is there maybe more? Is there a bit of a, a shock value to this one here? No, I, I think all of the losses we've had on this trip have been pretty hard, so our guys have bounced back before. We've had good wins. We get to go back home and and um, Lord willing, we'll get healthy, get some guys back, and I think that'll settle the rotation down a little bit because that's one of the issues we've had. Um, our rotation has been a bit offbeat this whole trip because of injuries. So the Pelicans finished the road trip 2-3 and three with wins against Detroit and Toronto and losses against Boston, Philly, and New York. The team is back in action tomorrow at home against the Lakers, and I'll have more details about that game in the last segment, we also have a Super Bowl 49 set for you in Phoenix, Arizona. It'll be the Patriots, the one seed in the AFC, against the one seed Seattle Seahawks. And uh, boy, that Seahawks Packers game, what a finish there. Congrats to Seattle making their second straight Super Bowl. And again, Tom Brady being Tom Brady as they absolutely demolished Indianapolis Colts on Sunday night 45. Two, seven. Also, the Senior Bowl is going on this week in Mobile, Alabama. Media is there, and uh, so is our John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. And later on in the show, he'll talk to Phil Savage, Executive Director of the Reese Senior Bowl. He talked to him before he left for Mobile, and we'll have J.D. on most of this week as coverage continues again from Mobile, Alabama. We have a busy show for you today. We'll uh, talk some Pelicans basketball with Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Also, Darren Rovell, ESPN Sports business reporter and business correspondent for ABC News, will be on today with Sean. He had some good stuff to talk about last week as we recorded the show, the interview on Thursday. He'll talk about the college football playoff, talk about ticket prices in general in sports, and also Adam Silver and uh, potentially gambling in the NBA. So a lot of good stuff from him. So uh, lineup includes Jim Eichenhofer, Darren Rovell, and Phil Savage. And we'll start with Jim Eichenhofer next on this Tuesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Tom Richards. I'm 35 years old, vice president of sales at a regional paper company. Six months ago, we decided to transition to one of those cool collaborative open space offices. So now I sit in the open next to three other sales managers, which means there's nothing separating me from... (coughs) Not getting Carl's nasty cold and missing a sales opportunity this winter? That is my purpose. Blend it now. Try the Immune Builder Smoothie at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to stay healthy this winter. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Be at the Smoothie King Center to see your New Orleans Pelicans take flight on Wednesday, January 21st at 7 when the Los Angeles Lakers come to town. It's Oshner Health and Fitness Night with the first 8,000 fans receiving a free Pelicans aluminum water bottle courtesy of Oshner. The Pelicans best pregame block party tips off the fun at 5.30 with music, inflatable games for the kids, and a whole lot more. Tickets start as low as $19. Visit pelicans.com to get your seats today. We're talking Pelicans basketball on the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the show. Time now to talk a little Pelicans basketball. And joining me now via the telephone is Pelicans.com writer Jim Eichenhofer. Jim, welcome back to the Big Easy. I hope this Tuesday finds you well, my friend. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm I'm actually very happy. I opened up my door this morning and it was um, 60, but given where we just came from, it feels like it's about it feels like about 85. 
So I'm glad to be back in New Orleans for sure and and uh, looking forward to being here. Even though we have to leave again in a couple days, I'm I'm glad we're going to be here a lot in the next couple weeks. You busting out the tank tops and shorts in this weather just based on your, <laughs> your East Coast trip? Yeah, I think I might need to go over to the to uh, Elmwood today and and get get a couple uh, get some swimming laps in. So I'm uh, I'm excited to be back here for sure. If you see that one crazy guy in the pool at Elmwood outside today, you know that's Jim Eichenhofer <laughs> from Pelicans.com. Jim, let's talk about the road trip. Uh, not how we uh, wanted to see it coming back. Went two and three. Um, you know, a lot of people love to predict how the road trip should go. A lot of people were saying three and two. A lot of people were saying four and one. I did not see two and three coming with um, wins against Detroit and Toronto. You were with this team the whole way. What was the biggest issue that stood out to you during this road trip? I think one of the one of the problems was the starts of games. I think the starting lineup got off to really a really bad start against Philadelphia, um, and then again in the game against New York, I think they had 16 points in the first quarter. Um, it's been a bunch of games since then, but I, I want to say the Boston game, they didn't start out very well either. So I think it was um, the the first unit was really one of the big problems. And then obviously when you don't have Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday for the last few games, it's going to be tougher to get off to good starts because you're not putting the five guys out there that you would normally. But um, I think that was probably the biggest um, problem in the in the losses was that the, the starters just didn't play well overall. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. I noticed that, too. And also, you know, I talk about the two teams I thought maybe we'd had the most trouble with. We actually beat in Toronto and Detroit in the three games I thought, okay, we should be okay. We're Boston, Philly, New York, the three worst teams in the East. We end up losing to those three teams and beating Detroit and Toronto. Can you put your finger around why uh, it seems like the Pelicans decline against teams that we should be beating on paper? I don't know specifically what what the reason is behind it, but the one thing I keep going back to is I feel like if you look at some of the key guys, and again, I know people don't like to hear excuses, but um, without Anthony and Drew, you're you're missing a couple of your your two maybe your two best players. Anthony's obviously the best player on the team, but if you look at the key guys beyond those two, I feel like they've been very inconsistent. And from game to game, you don't know exactly what kind of performance you're going to get from some of the other guys. And I think to me, that's, that's one of the, the problems is, especially in a game like against Philly, where you think like, okay, you know, on paper, the Pelicans are a lot better than this team, than this opponent. Um, but if Ryan, Tyreek and Eric all have poor games or subpar average games, you know, there's a chance you could lose to anybody with, with um when that happens. So, I mean, with without AD and Drew, the other the other main guys have to play well, or I think the Pelicans are going to be susceptible to losses like they've had in the, over the past week. Now I know um, we don't have practice today, so no media availability. But do you think Drew and AD return tomorrow, or is it too early to tell? I'm not sure. I think I thought it was possible that AD would play yesterday because on Sunday. Um, Monty Williams kind of indicated that he was getting close to, to being able to return. I didn't really get that same sense about Drew that he was close or that he was really, you know, a serious in serious consideration to play against the Knicks. But um, the one thing that Monty said yesterday was that he's trying, he's hoping that both of the, those guys can get closer to 100%. And I think with AD's injury, even though a lot of people 
say whenever someone has a toe injury, people are like, oh, what's the big deal? It's a, it's a toe injury. How bad can it be? But the one thing I always say is, like, if you've ever played basketball or even just anyone that's run, which is pretty much everyone, try to run with a with a toe that's that's um has a sprain or has um you know something something in there that's messed up. It's just not it's not a a doable situation. So, but hopefully those guys will be back soon because obviously the Pelicans need them to come back as as soon as they can. Now, someone who's played well in the absence of those two guys is Alexia Jinsa, averaging about a double-double in the last three games. Will we see more of him when AD and Drew Holiday return from injury just because of how he played? I think so. I mean, I think the way he's played, I don't think there's any way that they can they, they can keep his minutes limited to the, the way they were before. He's He's given the Pelicans a lot of aggressiveness inside. I feel like, in a way, he kind of, maybe had a moment where he was just like, you know, I haven't been playing. What do I got to lose? I'm just going to go out there and, um, you know, use my size and be aggressive. And so he he did a great job in the last couple, last few games, especially the Toronto game, I think might have been one of the best games of his career and definitely one of the most important contributions he's had since he's been here. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Jim, uh, Quincy Pondexter joined the team during this road trip. How do you think he's been uh, fitting in so far with the team? I think he's been a good fit. Um, I think between him and Dante Cunningham, I've noted a couple times that I think one of the reasons I like both of those guys is because they're players that they that don't need to score to help the team. I think, if anything, the Pelicans need a little bit more of that. They have some of the key guys lately. It seems like if they have bad offensive games, they're not doing other stuff to help the team win so the thing about Quincy is that I think he can have he can make shots so it's not like he's a he's a um a bad offensive player but he can have games where he scores two or four points and helps the team with his defense and some of the hustle plays he makes and you know just his energy so I I like the way he's fit and um you know I think he's helped the rotation too because Earlier in the season, as people have seen, there's been a lot of um, changes with the rotation, and just having him and Dante at um, small forward, it gives a little bit more stability to that position. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Jim, 10 of the next 12 are at home. We talked about how crucial this five-game road trip was, and the Pelicans sit four games back of the Suns for the final playoff spot in the West, but now have to worry about jumping Oklahoma City as well. Is it a stretch to say that this huge homestand can either make or break this season, or am I overreacting? Because you know a lot of people were saying during this road trip that this was a make-or-break time of the year. Am I just extending that that uh, phrase back a little bit, or is this really uh-huh. the make-or-break time for this team during this homestand? No, I think it's even as much as the road trip was was huge. I think this is even more important because, from the simple standpoint that. I think going into the road trip, they were maybe two games out of eighth, and now they're four, which you can't you can't fall six, seven games out of eighth and think that you have any chance. So um, not only just this homestand of that's coming up of six in a row, but I think it's ten of twelve be- between now and the All Star break. Mm-hmm. So they definitely need to gain some ground between now and the the lengthened um, All Star break that's coming up, and um, I think also that. They've played really well at home this year, so if, if they can keep doing that, you know, and and um, they they definitely could, you know, put themselves in a better position. But you know, 
this is really probably the last uh, last attempt as far as you know if, if you struggle during this or even play 500 ball during the next you know, say 12 games 14 games I I seriously doubt that that we'll be talking playoffs at the end of uh, February. Well, hopefully we are talking playoffs in February, and that starts tomorrow as the Pelicans take on the Los Angeles Lakers. That's Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Jim, thanks for coming on as usual, and we'll uh, talk to you tomorrow. All right, thanks, Daniel. No problem. When we come back, Sean Kelly will talk with ESPN's Darren Rovell. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. Mardi Gras is just around the corner, and Shreveport Bossier City invites you to experience Mardi Gras in the Arklatex, starting with the Crew of Centaur Parade on Saturday, February 7th. Cap it off with the Crew of Gemini Parade on Saturday, February 14th. Check out hotels and other things to do at Shreveport-Bossier.org or call 888-45-VISIT. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Sean Kelly. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. We're uh, very pleased to welcome in for the first time Darren Ravel, who's the ESPN Sports Business Reporter and Business Correspondent at ABC News. Uh, Darren, first of all, thanks again for coming on with us. It's I tell you what, you're you're probably one of my favorite follows on Twitter. You are informative and you are entertaining, and I can't think of a tweet that it doesn't either give me pause to think or, or chuckle at some point when you're on there. <laughs> well, I have a lot of fun on that platform. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. And, and as far as the business of sports goes, you know, you, you almost can't be a fan anymore if you don't understand that side. And you, you certainly won't win at the water cooler if, you're, if you don't know your owner's capacity to spend or the salary cap or something else. So there's a lot going on. I'm dizzy with how much business is going on these days. There's no doubt about that, and I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of times I find myself, whether I'm speaking to a group or, or getting interviewed myself, I'll, I'll say, hey, gang, let's, let's not forget, this is a business. Um, and, and I think that a lot of people don't want to hear that half the time. Uh, others, I think, as you just mentioned, are well aware of it. Maybe, though, Darren, what, what would you say about the business of sports right now that is perhaps the most misunderstood by fans? Well, uh, listen, I, I, I think that probably the most misunderstood is revolving around ticket prices and, you know, that the ticket prices are somehow connected to the salaries. Well, and, and that's been for a long time. You know, hey, you get a new free agent or your team's spending a lot of money and that's going to be dependent on the ticket prices. Well, you know, the ticket prices are actually just an independent economic equation that that owners are coming up with to – you know, to figure out how much they can get, what is the max. And, yeah, sometimes I think it, it helps or, or to throw out that, hey, maybe it's correlated, they spent a lot of money on players. But I think that connection between ticket prices and what the team's spending, it, 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 it's not a direct connection. 
Um, it, there are two separate things going on there. And sure, an owner wants to make back money when they when they spend the money, but uh, it's not necessarily related. And I always hear fans talking about, oh, now the ticket prices will go up. Does they don't have to? There, it's it's it's. Do they think that the new free agent is going to bring in more people and they can make more money? Perhaps, but just they're 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 just two separate equations. Where are teams then making the most of their money, Darren? And which league does the better job of it? Well, I mean, this brings up the whole idea of, of television. You know, I mean, you'd have to go back to maybe 1977-78 for the NFL. That was the first time where uh, TV dollars surpassed ticket uh, dollars. And, uh, you know, I would suggest now, if you just look at the data, that the ticket, the fan in the stands, is as irrelevant as ever. Um, which is kind of weird, because maybe that's, traditionally seen as your best fans, the ones that show up every home week or home day. Um, but there, there's certainly a dynamic, and it, it is in the NFL where this year each team is going to get $150 million each in national shared revenue. Uh, the NFL, while it is not a precipitous drop, the NFL is seeing a half a percent a year uh, decline in attendance over the last couple of years, and there's some data that just doesn't speak well to the experience of the fans in the stands versus what they're getting on television. Um, and, and that's something that's really intriguing in terms of you have the overall equation of the dollars being so big in TV compared to the tickets and the marketing and everything else that you wonder um, if we've sold out and we sold out the right way, right? HDTV, 4K TV is going to be great. Um, but if that sellout, how that changes the dynamic of being at the game and how teams sell. Um, about 15 years ago, ESPN asked me to do a story on the future and what the future stadium was. And I spoke to a futurist named Watts Wacker. <laughs> and uh, he told me that the future stadium would be a 1,000 seats. It would be a sound stage that would be optimized to television because 99.99999% of people are watching the game on television versus in person, and they should be deemed the more important audience. So that is certainly a very intriguing part of the business that I continue to watch. Wow, no doubt about that. Um, with regard to television ratings, uh, ESPN pulled an 18-5, I think, on the college football national championship. If you took the playoff in general um, and, and looking at it through the business lens that you do, what should we take away from this first ever um, conglomeration, I guess? A tremendous TV success. Um, the crowd was a little less corporate than I thought. It, um, you know, so fans did travel. Um, there's certainly, again, I mean, going back to my last point, there's, 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 uh, you know, there, there, there is an issue with fans having to think, well, am I going to go to the semis and finals? And, you know, I think that's a little bit too much for, for your average fan. There are fans that are going to do that. Um, but it is a TV product. It is, it is a TV product first. And I think people loved it this year. I think, you know, we realized that we were going to have the 5-6 debate, the whole TCU-Baylor. I think that, that's healthy. So, even though we, we got rid of the BCS, we still have the element of controversy, which I think is overall good for talk. 
I don't know if it's always going to be this way. You know, Columbus, Ohio is a huge market that polls, and and obviously you had uh, you know the biggest market that that, that always polls out there is you know any, anything in Alabama. You know, Birmingham market is crazy. Um, and I love. I also think that there has to be credit given to the stories. You know, you have Oregon and and who they are, and at least going in. Um, their dynamic offense and their their high scoring, you know, averaging 43 points a game, and then you have this ridiculous story that certainly intrigues of a third string quarterback who has the opportunity to win, you know, three games and three starts out of nowhere. Um, that that story was, I think, carried the day too, and and maybe got to when you get to this level, this is like a Super Bowl level got to people who wouldn't necessarily watch it and if that story is kind of explained it, it might get you to turn it on interesting interesting darren Ravel's with us here uh darren let's uh, turn our attention to maybe some of the more recent comments from nba commissioner adam silver um this this wanting to now all of a sudden embrace or perhaps being fair here control sports gambling um are these two universes colliding in a more public way what's what do you make of all this well, I think what happened is, you know, the 2006, uh, the Unlawful uh, Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, 2006, which basically declared that fantasy sports is not gambling because it's a game of skill, not chance. What that did is that opened up the idea of daily fantasy, which, you know, we're now to a point where FanDuel is, is – uh, um, taking in $4 million a day in entry fees. Uh, in 2014, FanDuel took in $621 million in entry fees, uh, gave back about 90% of that um, in prizes. And so once Adam Silver knew he was going to do an alliance with with a, a daily fantasy provider, it kind of gets muddied. Um, and... I think ultimately Adam Silver is really the first commissioner to understand that that gambling, you know, is money. That gambling is interest. It can generate more interest, and but it's got to come along with, you know, the the federal legislation with 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 repealing, um, you know, the Amateur Sports Act of 1992. Um, it it is a extremely interesting time. Um, but but it but it, it takes a lot, and we've seen that in the state of New Jersey, where Chris Christie's trying to get sports wagering, uh, current sports wagering laws repealed. You know, you have that daily fantasy carrot out there, and yet in 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 forty eight states, you know, gambling, uh, regular gambling is is considered illegal, even though not many people have been prosecuted for gambling. They've only been prosecuted for setting up. Um, you know, gambling rings and stuff, but mm-hmm. very interesting. I think there's there's a long way to go. There's a lot to do, but certainly Adam Silver's push is um, is not surprising. But when you finally hear it, it it is certainly interesting. Does it is it jarring in any way, or does this just seem like the next natural? Thing? No, I, I think know you there's said it's reality different. here. Um, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, office pools and, and there's a lot of gambling going on in this world. I mean, any time you look at the top three markets of a national football league game, Vegas is three or four. 
You have the two markets in the game, and then Vegas is always there. Um, we we know that ratings of games that people hang in because of they're looking for the total or over under or they're looking at the spread. This is this is obvious. Um, you know the, the the question just becomes how do you do this? I mean I've I've been covering sports gambling for 15 years, and you know the problem is that the state's laws are so archaic. You know, let me give you a quick example. So in the state of New Jersey. You can bet on and host daily fantasy, you know, uh, pools or whatever you want. Daily, you could play and and run a daily fantasy business um, based on that 2006 act that says it's a game of skill, and you can run that in the state of New Jersey. However, the state of New Jersey's laws actually say that you can't run, say, like a survivor pool even though that's more of a game of skill, I would say, than daily fantasy. So that's just an example of the complexity that we're dealing with here. Yeah, you're right. It's a great example of what would have to be peeled back, redone, rethought. Yeah, you're right. There's no doubt about that. Um, you had the, uh, the big game burger, I think, from Green Bay uh, on one of your tweets mm-hmm. last week. I'm looking at your your Twitter feed today, and it's everything from – changing the seats at Sun Life Stadium to elevated seats at the glass in Brooklyn next season. Uh, Darren, how do you, how do you uh, sort through all this stuff and, and, uh, and say what's, what's sports business worthy or entertaining um, in all this uh, sponsorship-driven world of ours? Every day I wake up, I feel like I'm air traffic control. You know, I, have, I have saved drafts. I have, you know, it's, it's very strategic. Um, you know, and the idea is a cross between what constitutes sports business news, a little bit of fun, food, beer, you know, um, and any anything that I, I mean, it's 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 not that much of a editorial mission I give myself, but I do have a lot of fun um, for big events. I'll people say, well, how do you for the national championship game? How do you come up with so much so fast and tweet it out? I usually spend thirty to fifty hours on going into the Super Bowl and I have maybe 75 preloaded tweets saved in my draft that I that I that I put up Super Bowl's a challenge because normally I like to put things up during a break during a uh, commercial um, so that you know people can watch the game and then I can kind of do my little pop-up video but of course the commercials are what people are watching the Super Bowl so that presents a challenge but I have a tremendous amount of fun um, you know this this medium is incredible and, uh, and, and, you know, people say, well, what happens if it's not the future? Well, it's right now, and if there's a next big thing, I'll go there. Yep. Well, your hard work is well-received. You can follow uh, Darren Ravel at, on Twitter, simply at Darren Ravel. It's a must-follow for sports fans. I learned something as I knew I would today, Darren. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Keep up the great work and enjoy the rest of the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl. You got it. Thanks for having me. You bet. That's ESPN Sports Business Reporter and Business Correspondent for ABC News. Darren Ravel with us here on the Black and Blue Report. All right. Thanks, Sean. When we come back, John DeShazer sits down with the Executive Director of the Reese Senior Bowl, Phil Savage.
Pelicans fans, be sure to download the team's official app so you can play our new game, Quest for the Coast, presented by Chevron. Help Pierre the Pelicans save the coast in this infinite flying adventure. Save as many miles of the coast as you can before the water rises. This fun interactive game includes a basketball bonus round and educational facts about the environment provided by the Audubon Nature Institute. Quest for the Coast, presented by Chevron. Available only on the Pelicans app. Download it today. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion, it's a tradition. And Zatarans has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, Zatarans has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. And we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarans, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Daniel Sellerson. Welcome back to the show. Our John DeShazer is currently in Mobile, Alabama for the Reese's Senior Bowl. And before he left this weekend, he caught up with the executive director, Bill Savage. You've been with the Senior Bowl since 2012, been an NFL executive and coach in various capacities for 20 years. But specific to the, to the Senior Bowl, why does the Senior Bowl remain one of the marquee uh, games of this magnitude when it, when we're talking about college seniors and, and that kind of thing? Probably because it's the most unique job fair in the entire football world. When you have an opportunity to bring 110 players to Mobile where 32 teams, future employers, want to evaluate, get to know them, interview them, uh, it makes for a very you know, how do you come with with 110? Because obviously, you guys send out more invitations than that. I think um, I, I read somewhere where it was more than 300 invitations that were extended. But how do you whittle down to the 110, 55 guys per team? When I came here in June of 
grasp how important the Senior Bowl has been or and remains. How many kids were drafted last year that played in the Senior Bowl, and what's the percentage wise of how many kids are drafted from the who play in the Senior Bowl? Yeah, last year we had over eighty players drafted out of the game. The year before we had over ninety. Uh, the good news is that of our hundred and ten from last last year's game, ninety nine of them drew an NFL paycheck this year, either on the uh, active roster, practice squad, injured reserve. Uh, they were alive uh, in terms of the future for their career, and that's the thing we really try to emphasize. Uh, Doug, is the, the competition uh, to come down and compete against other top players from across the country in the connection. Uh, what people don't realize uh, beyond meeting and talking to head coaches and general managers, these players are interviewed by assistant coaches and scouts. And in three or four years, a lot of those assistant coaches and scouts are going to be in decision-making positions as a GM or, or head coach. And that first impression that you make in Mobile can really carry and serve you well three, four, five years down the road. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Is the Senior Bowl, I guess, not comparable to the Combine, but this seems to give teams an even better look at guys, particularly, particularly because it gives them a look in top-flight competition against other guys who are competing for NFL jobs. You know, really, the combine is all about the medical exams and the raw data, the numbers of what a player can run, what he can jump. Unfortunately, uh, in our business of uh, running an all-star game, it's become a bigger focus than really what it is in the reality of an NFL player personnel department. The combine is a piece of the puzzle, just like the Senior Bowl or the East-West Shrine or any of the other games but particularly the Senior Bowl, because this is the, this is the opportunity to mention that first impression off the field, because oftentimes the scouts don't get a chance to meet the players during the season. They only get a chance to evaluate the tapes, talk to the coaches and the staff of a particular college. So that's the first impression off the field. The lasting impression occurs on the field, because this is the last opportunity that these players will have to wear a football uniform and play football because from here on out it's all about the combine and the pro days which is a piece of the puzzle but it's not in a in a, in a GM or head coach or player personnel's mind's eye their vision is of that player playing football either here at the senior bowl or for whatever the kid did uh, during his regular season at college it is not what they do in a pro day or at the combine now, who are some of the guys, some of the notable guys who will be there this year? I know um, you've got a couple of quarterbacks, uh, Blake Sims from Alabama and, and, and Petty from, from Baylor. But who are some of the other marquee guys that we should be taking note of? I know there are a couple of LSU kids also are there this year. Yeah, LSU has Lyle Collins, the All-American, All-SEC uh, lineman, is a, a tackle-guard combination probably for the NFL. Also, Connor Neighbors from LSU is a true fullback. He's a He's a throwback at the position. And interestingly enough, he's the first ever third-generation senior bowler. His grandfather played here in 1962. His dad played here in 1987. Here's Connor in 2015 getting to carry on the family legacy, so to speak. But 
Some of our top players will be Danny Shelton, the defensive tackle from Washington, just uh, wreaked havoc uh, in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, Amir Abdullah, the running back from Nebraska, is a native of Birmingham. Uh, he's coming back to his home state to participate. Uh, T.J. Clemming is probably our top-rated offensive lineman. For the University of Pittsburgh, he's not well-known to the casual fan, but he is likely to be a first-round pick. So those are a few of the names, but, you know, every player has his own story and his own story to tell, and hopefully the Senior Bowl becomes part of the fabric of their career as we go forward. Hey, well, Phil, we appreciate greatly you, you uh, joining us here on the Black and Blue Report, and, and we thank you for what you're doing with the Senior Bowl because obviously, you know, it's turned out to be a huge endeavor for you, and it's a great tool for these kids to be able to show themselves to the NFL. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and I look forward to seeing you guys over in uh, Mobile here in a few days. Make sure you keep checking in to NewOrleansSaints.com and the Saints mobile app all week long for player interviews and sound from Mobile. And uh, also from JD, he'll be on the show throughout the week. Okay, when I come back, I'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah, that's the sound of Mardi Gras, baby. <laughs> Just something about the tradition of it all. Even though Fat Tuesday and Cash Crew scratch off from the lottery, you could be feeling like a king with up to $3,000 or even $12,000 in your back pocket. Stop and pick up Fat Tuesday and Cash Crew today. Now that's better than the good beans, baby. Must be at least 21 to purchase. Hi, I'm Lisa Albright. I'm 36 years old. I had the perfect life. It was everything I ever dreamed about. Until two weeks ago. I was standing in line at the grocery store, leaning over to empty my cart when I heard it. Mommy, why are her pants too big in the back? And that's when it hit me. I'm wearing mom jeans. Never again. I will look hot in yoga pants. That is my purpose. Blend it now. Try the new Firm and Burn chocolate peanut butter smoothie at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to get into those yoga pants. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Everything you need to know about the Saints and Pelicans is right here on the Black and Blue Report. Good show to start the short week. Our thanks to Jim Eichenhofer, Darren Rovell, and Phil Savage for coming on today's show. Sean Kelly will be back in the hosting chair tomorrow from our Smoothie King Center studios as the Pelicans will look to get back on track against the Los Angeles Lakers. Tickets are still available for as low as $19, and it is Auctioner Health and Fitness Night where the first 8,000 fans will receive a Pelicans water bottle courtesy of of auctioner david wesley will be on the show tomorrow as part of a wesley wednesday we'll also check in with john DeShazer from mobile where he is covering the senior bowl for neworleansaints.com also i want to congratulate mark ingram on making his first pro bowl for the new orleans saints he replaces marshawn lynch on the roster who will obviously be preparing for super bowl 49 mark ingram joins jimmy graham and drew Brees in phoenix arizona where the pro bowl will be played so uh congratulations to mark and of course jimmy graham and Drew breeze don't forget you can follow the show on twitter at black blue report and you can also follow me at d salerson and sean kelly is at sean kelly live well that'll do it for today and until tomorrow i'm daniel salerson thanks for listening to the black and blue report the podcast for saints and pelicans fans Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com.
Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.